It was a process. You know, this whole thing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I think too many people expect change to occur, you know, overnight. And it most of the time doesn't happen. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 056 of the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. It is so great to have you here. If you're new to the show, this is your weekly dose of business savvy, emotional intelligence, and oftentimes a bit of inspiration. I help you master your mindset, dominate your fears, unleash your amazing, and live your most effective self. Now, This past week, has been a very busy one as four colleagues and I ventured out in launching our new company. It's called Brain Trust Partners, and it's a hybrid consultancy to help big brands connect more effectively with their customers. And we're an executive consultancy that helps busy leaders kind of manage an evolving marketplace with common sense and strategic guidance. Um, so we're really excited about that. Um, some of the things that we'll be doing for companies include strategic communications and marketing. We do management consulting, digital transformation, uh, innovation planning, and as well as advanced technology strategy. So I'm joining uh, the global head or former global head of media from Ford Motor Company. His name is Scott Monty. You may remember that name if you listened to episode 044 when I interviewed him. In addition, uh, the head of marketing from Zignal Labs, Tim Hayden, joins the team. Um, customer experience leader from City and Comcast, uh, Frank Eliason. And in addition, the business and communication strategist who led digital platforms or programs at IBM and General Motors. His name's Christopher Barger. So between the five of us, uh, we got off to a big start this last week. So we did our big push, launched our website. You can see that website simply at um, braintrust.partners. There's no .com, .co, or anything like that. It's just braintrust.partners. And uh, yeah, really exciting time. It's obviously kept me super, super busy. Um, so as such, I'm actually releasing this episode um, a couple days late. So sorry about that. Um, but uh, it's going to be good. Our guest today, he spent nine years as a Navy pilot and then went into the corporate world, uh, but his long-time uh, desire was to start a business of his own. He wanted to be his own boss, and today he and his team provide passive fundraising for over 2,000 schools in over 23 states. They sell spirit stickers through vending machines, which help support the school's needs and provide a living for his family. So today, I'm speaking with Matt Miller of School Spirit Vending. Let's jump into that interview right now. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. I'm here on the line with my guest, Matt Miller. Matt, how are you today? I am doing awesome, Angus. Thanks for having me on, man. 
Oh, I'm really excited, and I appreciate all of your Jimmy rigging to make this thing happen. <laughs> I understand we're calling from your car. Yeah, and it's a little bit warm here in uh, Central Texas right now. So, but we're making it happen. So, I, I need to lose weight anyway. So, <laughs> this kind of <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of the days when I was having to make weight for wrestling or boxing or you know whatever. So, we're good. Phenomenal, and you even use you know back in the day of wrestling. So that means that was back in school. So that's a nice little segue into where we're going with all this. So Matt, you are in school vending, and you didn't just like decide to do candy bars and all the ridiculousness of old. Uh, you actually have done it with some mission. Um, I want to back up a little bit and talk about how this all started. You know, I it, it really started Angus out of necessity. My family was in a really bad place financially after uh, getting out of the military and then jumping to a couple of different companies and me learning that, you know, the, the rules are always changing, especially with publicly traded companies, and they never seem to change in my favor. And and I got fed up with being told what to do and, and, and having the rules constantly changed um, despite my efforts. And so I started doing some stuff on the side. I collected aluminum cans. I, I sold used books online for a couple of years. My garage looked like a library there for a while. Um, I'd read nice. Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, though, and that warped me for life. <laughs> oh, and his how so? Well, just because his concept of passive income, I'd never heard of before. And so all of a sudden, all of my thinking is about how am I going to derive income that, you know, I can make while I'm sleeping or or not have to work and trade hours directly for. And so everything I was doing, I was kind of gauging against what Kiyosaki talked about. And so I was constantly searching. And even though the things that I was doing at the time helped keep the roof over our heads and and food on the table, I wasn't I wasn't satisfied. And good buddy of mine from church mentioned one day that his young daughters and he had gotten a couple of gumball machines. They were building a business together, something they could do as a family. And I heard that and I was like, maybe that's my answer. You know, why not try this whole gumball and vending thing? So I did and uh, had a pretty successful business just in and out of local area businesses and restaurants and that type of thing on the north side of Houston for a couple of years and then 07 and 08 hit and right around that time business went down because of the economy and I had a number of young kids come knocking on my door selling me stuff for the local school fundraisers and my kids were of comparable age these kids were running around by themselves without any adults and in in a suburb of Houston and I was like well I would never let my kids knock on strangers doors to raise money for anything so maybe I can figure out something to get some kids off the street and stabilize our income in the process. So that's kind of where the whole school spirit vending and, and that type of thing came from. So for you, you're making the transition from, you know, a traditional job into something that you said, like you said, it was a, a more of a passive income. What was that transition? So obviously things weren't going your way. Were you laid off? Did you quit? Did you, what was, what was the impotence to, to make that transition or was it kind of a slow 
you know, fade into from one to the other? Well, it was a slow fade in. Thankfully, I had a career that, you know, I had a lot of control over my time and was able to do some stuff on the side. There was no way I was just going to jump off a cliff and hope that that we, you know, survived. So I started all this on the side. But really what led to it all is we were just starting to come out of a, a, a rough transition from the military, getting paid less in the corporate environment, not having quite the benefits and all that. And I had the best year I ever had in sales my first full year at the company called Advo, uh, specializing in, in, in advertising at the time. And I ended up being number two out of the country out of 750 reps. Mm. Great year, uh, you know, really cool success. But my boss decided that she was going to try to ride that success into the next year. And she decided to put a lot of my quota or a lot of the office's quota on my back. The average quota increase in the office was five to 10%. She increased mine over 90. Mm. And overnight, I went from being a hero to a zero. She had sealed my fate because a couple of those accounts that the year before I, I had driven my business with, you know, were no longer customers. And that decision cost my family and I about 80 grand in commission and bonuses the next year. So we were in, in a huge hole. And so out of necessity, I had to start doing something else. Mm -hmm. And what was the um, element of the vending that seemed to click? It wasn't just gumballs. When, when did you get into the spirit vending? When did that transition start? When 07 and 08 hit and the route that I had built up had its revenues cut in about half because of the economy, I was looking for a way to stabilize things. And I knew there weren't as many people going out to the restaurants and that where I had my locations. Those kids came knocking on my door. I was like, well, man, I can get kids off the street and kids are in school nine months out of the year, five days a week. So I don't have to worry about if mom and dad can afford to go out to a restaurant or not, if I've got a location and it's a school. So I had been in the printing industry. I had actually tried to create some custom stickers for my machines earlier uh, than that point, because there was a lot of really trashy stuff that was available out in the industry. And I was trying to you know, come up with some stuff that had some redeeming value and that mom and dads wouldn't be upset about if mm -hmm. little Johnny or little Susie came back from the machine with it in their hand. So I had a good buddy of mine by the name of Jeff Smith. He's my web guy today, but he also wrote a, uh, a series of comics called The Prayer Pups. And so he and I, kind of a, in support of my traditional vending route, developed a small series of prayer pup stickers that I figured out how to have designed and printed and all that. And we tested them in my machines. Well, little did I know that all that was really preparation for me going into the schools, developing spirit stickers and helping promote school spirit in the, in the schools with stickers instead. And so you started printing out logos sayings, memes, things of that nature. Is that, is that what it looked like? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. And then what I, I just, I'm asking this as, as a mischievous 
young man that I was. What <laughs> what keeps those stickers from getting all over the walls in the school? You know, that was the one question that I had when we started all this. Was that going to be an issue? And what we found is just like if your son, John, buys their own car, they take care of it. Well, when little Johnny buys a sticker from our machine with his own money, he doesn't want to put it on any property other than his own. Mm. And believe it or not, in almost nine years of business now, I can count the number of complaints that I've heard from thousands of schools, mind you, uh, on one hand. And, and how many schools are you in right now? We're in just shy of 2,000. Wow. All right. So let's, let's back up to the schools. So to get into schools, um, what was it like to kind of jump through some of those hurdles when you kind of explained what you had? Was it just an immediate acceptance or did you have to go through some static first? There was a bunch of static because when I built my traditional vending route, I just went door to door from business to business. So I tried doing the exact same thing with the schools. And what I found out was that they didn't respond real well to that. Educators, you know, as are most people are don't like change and many of them don't like to embrace new things. You know, we all like to kind of keep the status quo in our lives so all the educators that I talked to thought it was a great idea, but I didn't have anybody that what I'd call an early adopter, somebody who's willing to try something new, regardless of how much you know sense it makes or regardless of how good it sounds. Thankfully, a good friend of mine who was an elementary PE teacher got me a test in his school to start with. And so we had several months under our belt by the time I went out and started talking to other schools but it didn't really kick off until we found a trade show that made sense where we were able to get in front of a bunch of educators and volunteers all at one time in a couple of days. Did we you know, finally find some people who saw what we had, got excited about it, and were willing to be those early adopters? Hmm. And then, of course, from then, we were able to build our entire business off of those people in a lot of ways that that had the early successes and were willing to share and, and tell others about, you know, what we were doing for them. That's cool. So you didn't start, or excuse me, you didn't stop there. So before we got on this call, you were telling me you're working on some new things. You're working on serving these 2000 schools. Cause obviously you can't jump in a van and drive to all 2,000 schools. So you've got a lot of logistics you're taking care of. How are you accomplishing that and supporting that team? Well, we have, for the first seven and a half years or so, we were a distributor model where we did licensing with individual families around the country. We taught them how to do what we do. Um, We established a supply chain for them to support them and what they were doing. And we got a little piece of everything that they did because we provided a system and and a process for them to follow. About a year and a half ago, though, I had started working about six months prior with a guy by the name of Aaron Walker, which I know you know Aaron, as a coach. And he had challenged me in one of our conversations that we had on a weekly basis that there was a lot of schools out there that had no clue who we were. Hmm. And that the only reason why they we weren't doing business with them is they just didn't know who we were yet. 
So I went about trying to figure out how to continue to grow and to get ourselves into some other areas of the country where we weren't. Ended up talking to my attorney and, and discussing, you know, all the different ramifications. And at that point in time, we decided that the best model moving forward was the franchise. So about a year ago, we started franchising. And that, because of a lot of the uh, restrictions in many of the states, especially in the Northeast and out West, we were able to grow and begin promoting in some of those areas, which would have been problematic utilizing the model that we had previously, just because the business climate in those states. And so we made a complete shift in the way that we did business about a year ago. And believe it or not, it was the best decision we ever made because we've, we've grown 50% in the last six months. Uh, we're on track to grow over 100% in the size of our business team this calendar year. And we've got more schools that, that are being served today than ever before because our team is even bigger. You know, we provide and manufacture the majority of the product that we put in our machines so that it is kid-friendly all the way down to, you know, a three- or four-year-old, but is also product that the kids want. So there's a lot of testing that we do. There's, there's a lot of things that happen in the background for us to provide not just anything, but to provide product that the kids want, but that is, you know, also mommy and daddy approved um, and educator approved as well. You mean you're not just going to load it up with Pokemon Go stickers now? You know, it's funny because a bunch of folks on our team, you know, the minute they started hearing about that, right. said, hey, man, we need to get Pokemon stickers. Well, we've got, we actually did a blog post internally. We've got a, a franchise portal where we, we, you know, share information and best practices and all that. And we actually put out a blog post the other day about how too much of a good thing isn't always a good thing. The, the gist of it was that in the school environment, as excited as everybody is about Pokemon Go, it may very well not be a good fit for us because if it ends up being a distraction for those kids, then it's a negative for right. us. Right. So chances are we won't ever have that in the schools. It's not available to us right now license-wise anyway, but in the event that it does, chances are we may not run it just because it is such a craze right now that educators are going to be looking for ways to make sure that they keep their kids focused on class and school and not other things like that that can be a huge distraction. Right. So let's talk about focus. You sought a coach to speak into your life. What, yeah. what brought that about? What made you want to seek a third party to kind of give you some guidance? I had always been taught that the speed of the group is determined by the speed of the leader. And I knew that I had gotten to kind of a plateau in my life. I had set some what I thought were pretty high goals, you know, years ago for what I wanted to do and accomplish business wise. You know, the fact that I wanted to work for myself, the fact that I wanted to have control over time and money. And I had accomplished those things. And what I, failed to do was to reset some more goals to continue to push myself and in the process can continue to lead the team. So I had gotten myself around a bunch of others at conferences and that type of thing. And 
it just so happened I was at an entrepreneur leadership event of Dave Ramsey's down in Nashville about three and a half years ago. Yeah, Nashville. And, yeah, and Aaron was there. And we met on a break and ended up hanging out together most of the week. He was there as a guest of Dave's at the time because they were friends. And when it was all said and done, I was like, man, I've got to find a way to get around that guy on a regular basis. And one thing led to another. He started coaching. And about six months later, I, I, I actually hired him. But to have somebody as an outsider be able to look into my life personally and professionally and, and help me see things that I was blind to has made all the difference in the world because um, he's an unbiased, you know, uh, set of eyes and ears that is there purely to help push me and, and, and make me as, as, as good and as I can possibly be. Was it, was it hard for you to, you know, hear where maybe you were missing it or blind to something? Oh yeah. You know, it took, it's funny. It took about six months before he and I actually really clicked in that relationship. And it took me a year before I saw any financial return for all the money that I had invested in that relationship, you know, by hiring him. But I knew that I needed to be patient. There was stuff he needed to learn about me. I needed to learn about him. And finally, we got to a point where we could communicate on the same level. We could be speaking the same language. And he knew enough about me and what made me tick to, to really be able to, you know, help me dive deep on some of these things and, and start to work towards, you know, improving. It was a process. You know, mm -hmm. this whole thing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I think too many people expect change to occur, you know, overnight. And it most of the time doesn't happen. But that's what the book promises. You just read these three <laughs> steps, those five ways, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just follow the formula. <laughs> what What were some of the like limiting beliefs or you know stuff that maybe you heard and you just kind of choked on that was really kind of a hard pill to swallow? Yeah, one of them was just the fact that I, I really, really, really wanted to do what I wanted to do. One of the reasons why I got out of the corporate world was I hated being told, told what to do. So one of my limiting beliefs was if I push this too far and, and, and lead and build this too big, am I just back to that place where I was previously, except for now I've got 50 or 60 or 70 or a hundred bosses slash customers instead of just one. Mm. The but the tail wagging the dog type thing. Yeah. Yeah. But the challenge was at that time, Angus, I was also purely a solopreneur. I had never hired anybody before. I never had any employees. So there was a lot I needed to learn. And once again, Aaron has helped me navigate the, that process to where it is a, a total breath of fresh air today, you know, with the team that we've begun to assemble, the ability to, to have trusted people that work with and for me to handle a lot of the basic day-to-day -day functions that quite honestly are not in my wheelhouse and, and it's not profitable for me to spend a lot of time on. 
But for years, I was the one that was doing it all. So by me bringing on the right people, I now have more time than ever to do what I believe I'm really gifted in doing in leading the team and in, 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 in creating that vision for the future instead of being caught up in the mundane day-to-day stuff that, that most of us get caught up in. You know, one of the books that we read in, in one of the master in the mastermind group that I'm in that Aaron heads up, you know, uh, Graber's E-Myth Revisited. I'd had that book on my shelf for years, but never got around to reading it. And I realized real quickly that I was a technician in, in Graber's vernacular. And in order for me to truly have the freedom that I wanted long term and to make the money that I wanted to make and have the options, I needed to transition from from technician to manager to ultimately entrepreneur. And right now we're still in the middle of that transition from manager to entrepreneur in a lot of what we do today. Hmm. And Matt, as as we're kind of coming in for a close, what, what are some of those things now that you have time, what are the things that you're working on to advance? You know, we give you an idea, Angus, we have sold over 32 million stickers in the last eight and a half years. So we've had 32 million customers. Well, for a long time there, my focus was just on making money and helping our team make money. Well, today though, I have the ability to focus more on what can we do to provide even more value for our franchisees and and provide even greater value for our customers, which are the kids. Our, Our mission statement is, Funds for schools, freedom for families, change for kids. And right now, most of my focus is on that change for kids part. Um, I don't know if you've ever used a sticker or a temporary tattoo machine before, but they come out of the machine in a cardboard folder. That folder provides rigidity so that the mechanism can actually push the folder out of the machine without any electricity or anything like that. Well, 99.9% of the folders in, in the machines across America are blank. It's just a blank piece of white cardboard. We print on that folder. And initially we printed some cute little comics and that kind of stuff. Um, I actually, a couple of years ago, because I was inspired to read as a kid, hired a couple of young Baylor University graduates and they have created a comic book series and comic book heroes for us at my direction that we're using to hopefully inspire kids to read along the way. They're called Marlin and Percy. Marlin and and Percy are a couple of apes that want to be superheroes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they started out on that cardboard as kind of the Bazooka Joe of our machines. And over time, not only do they appear on that cardboard in most of the Vens that that we produce every year, but we've written uh, six full-length comics We also have written a children's novel, which is a couple hundred pages in length. All that stuff's available through Amazon and and at MarlinAndPercy.com today. But one of the things I'm most excited about is this year, starting uh, in a couple of months, we're going to begin giving away ebook versions of those comics with many of the Vens that come out of our machine. So not only are the kids getting access to a sticker for their 50 cents, they're getting a game that they get a chance to play with or they get to learn from. And 
in many cases, they're actually going to get to download a comic book for free and, and, you know, have exposure to that and hopefully inspire them, uh, you know, to read, uh, as well. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. I was just sitting here thinking as you were talking, like how many different quotes and inspirational quotes that have kind of changed my life and transitions that I've gone through. I always had, you know, some kind of a saying in front of me, I'd write on my mirror or something like that. Gosh, if I was a kid and I had, you know, I'm just want a sticker and I open it up and here's something that can motivate me. Here's something that can move me. Here's something that can get my attention. I just think that's pretty cool. You know, a lot of these kids are never going to have the chance or, or never get exposed to anything like that unless we do it. And, you know, I don't know how many kids we're going to impact along the way. I don't believe that it's my job to determine that. It's just my job to to maximize and, and do the best I can to serve them and, and to serve our team and let God sort out the details. Um, but, you know, even if it's just a few kids a year that we have a positive impact on, it's worth it because all that stuff is being done anyway. You know, that cardboard is there already anyway. And so between that, we, we've also started, in a way, we're kind of becoming a media company because we've started to, uh, to produce a series of of commercials, both audio and video that the schools can use in support of our machine. One of the things that we're going to come out with this year that I'm excited about starting to shoot uh, the series here in the next month or so, it's kind of the behind the scenes of Sticker Man and Sticker Woman. And we're going to teach kids about what we do and how we do it, from how we service the machines to how we print the stickers to how we develop the artwork for a new series, all those kind of things so that hopefully we inspire some entrepreneurs along the way as well and can give the kids kind of an inside behind the curtain look at what we do and how we do it. That's great. So for someone that's listening here in our final moments here, what is something you would say to them to encourage them if they're stuck in a job that maybe doesn't thrill them and they want to be doing something else? You know, the first thing I would tell them, Angus, is you got to own a business. And you're not going to have all the answers. If you've got an idea, you need to start moving forward today. Because otherwise, if you don't, two, three, four, five years from now, it's still going to be an idea and nothing will have changed. You know, what I thought the business was going to be early on and what it is today today are two completely different things. But I wouldn't have figured all that out if... I hadn't taken the steps to get started and then make adjustments along the way. Well, thanks, Matt. If people want to get a hold of you and your wisdom, where can they go to find you? A couple things, Angus. First, they can just go to email if they want. and Just email me at Matt, M-A-T-T, at SSVbusiness.com. And if anybody is remotely interested at all in vending or maybe even what we're doing in the schools, um, I wrote a short ebook called Live Your Dreams, The Top 10 Reasons Why You Need to Own a Vending Business. It just gives some insight into the industry from somebody who's been around for you know 12 plus years in it. Um, your audience can go to ssvbusiness.com forward slash up in your business and download that for free. And we can start a dialogue from there if they like. Matt, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for sweating it out in your vehicle in, in Central Texas. Hey, Angus, thanks for having me on, man, and God bless. <laughs> you too, man. Take care. <laughs> Take care. 
Thanks so much to Matt for his time today. We ended up uh, chatting for quite a while after the interview was over. He's a really, really good guy. So maybe you, after listening to this, realize that you have had an idea, maybe a product, a concept, or a service. What are you doing with that? Like Matt said in the interview, you don't have to stop cold at what you're doing and jump right into the idea. But instead, simply move forward. Uh, You can see if you can create a prototype, maybe a sample, or take a survey to see if there's actually a market for your product. Just get the ball rolling. There's books to read or events you can attend and meetups. Learn what you can about that product or industry. And simply start small. That's my encouragement to you. Because if you keep it at that you know, just taking that next step, the next door will reveal itself. So you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know the entire picture. You only have to know to take the first step or rather the next step. So if you have questions or thoughts on today's show, maybe you want to ask me a question. So please come and find me on Twitter at Angus Nelson's where you can find me. And if you're looking for any of the links on the show notes, you want to uh, get into our private Facebook group, any of those things, simply jump on to AngusNelson.com forward slash zero five six. That'll take you into the show notes for this uh, particular episode. In addition, a couple of the books that he had mentioned, the E-Myth as well, at, or E-Myth Revisited, as well as uh, Guy Kiyosaki's book. Uh, those links are in there as well. Um, besides that, I am your host, Angus Nelson. Go ahead and tell your friends about this show because the greatest compliment you can give is a referral to someone else. Please tell somebody about it, either by sharing it on the web or telling them in person. Keep taking your business up by getting up in your business. Live intentionally, love extravagantly, and lead with self-awareness. Be amazing. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com. <laughs>